This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking with me, Marshall Ramsey. It's the show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. Our guest today is Marilyn Tennant, the founder of Mississippi Christian Living Magazine, longtime publisher, editor, and author of a brand new book, Mimi's Grandma Book, Life Lessons for Our Grandchildren, Big People Too. We'll talk with Marilyn about her years in the business and her new book, plus... Our Mississippi Made feature of this week is Norris Bookbinding Company, and we'll speak with them about their rich history here in Mississippi. If you'd like to be part of today's conversation, the number to call is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I am the editor-at-large at Mississippi today. Our guest today, well, has been keeping pretty darn busy since her retirement. Marilyn Tinian is the founder of Christian Living Magazine, longtime publisher and editor and author. She's here with us today in studio. She has a pretty amazing story, and she's going to be talking about her new book, Mamie's Grandmother Book, Life Lessons for Our Grandchildren and Big People Too. Now, we're going to chat with our guest in just a minute, but first, it's time for our Mississippi Made feature of the week, and today we're featuring Norris Book Binding Company, the nation's largest Bible repair company. Gibbs Rolls is on the line with us, is the co-owner of Norris Binding Company, Book Binding Company. Gip, welcome to the show. Happy Monday. Thank you for calling in. Well, I appreciate that. appreciate the opportunity to uh, share with your listeners and and uh, inform them a little bit about what we do. I um. Uh, number one, I didn't even know that there was a Bible repair industry out there. So, because I've got a couple of them that I probably should send your way that are pretty beat up that I've had since I was a little kid. But uh, tell us a little bit of the history of the Norris Bookbinding Company. Well, Norris was started back in 1947 by Mr. H. H. Norris. Uh, he had been in the military and had had experience in the bookbinding area, and and uh, he came to Greenwood and uh, kind of partnered with a large printing company and would do their binding. And, but he, he knew there was a real need for, for Bible restoration back at, at that time. And the more he uh, offered that service and realized that it was uh, not as competitive as typical book binding, uh, he moved in that direction and just kept reaching out and publications like Sword of the Lord and different things like that, and, and it just kind of grew from there. Well, that's, that's pretty incredible. And number one, kudos to him for having the smarts to uh, see a niche market there. How did you and your family get to be part of the company? Well, my dad was, was about 14, 15 years old, uh, and he worked at a grocery store. And Mr. Norris saw that he was a, uh, kind of an impressive worker and hustler, and, and he uh, told him one day to, and he'd like to talk to him anyway. Short, long story short, he uh, offered him a job, and uh, a year or two later, his brother, uh, my uncle Johnny, uh, went to work 
for, for the book boundary. And so they grew up in it. And as the year, Mr. Norris died in the 60s. And uh, after that, they uh, were able to buy into the business and carry it on with the other partners and have just ended up as being uh, our family being the sole owner. So you, as a kid, you grew up around the family business. I know my dad had a business, and I spent many years helping him there. It just I just didn't end up in it. But So you kind of knew from an early age this was what you were going to do. Well, it, yeah, more or less. Uh, we were also in the printing business for a number of years, and uh, that, that kind of changed. And uh, My sister uh, works here now, myself and, and my cousin, my Uncle Johnny's daughter, Nyla, works here, uh, and, and they've both worked here actually longer than I have. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, my mom worked here at one time, and uh, we've had uh, my daughter-in-law works here. My son worked here at one time. So, yeah, it's been a lot of family involvement. Yeah, that could be a, a blessing and a curse to work with family sometimes, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You have your um, unique ways of dealing with things, for sure. That's true. And sometimes you're like, ah, oh, I can't wait to get away from that person. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to go home and see that person, too. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I was thinking about who your market is. I mean, do you get a lot of business from churches and so forth that have that, that need hymnals and, and Bibles repaired? Well... We used to do some hymnal binding, but printing and, and all the way it is today, it's it's a lot less expensive to buy new ones. Yeah. The Bible, the Bible end of it, um, what really got it boosted was back in um, back in the '60s, sometimes later '60s, I think. The um, what was then known as the uh, uh, Baptist Bible Bookstore, a Baptist bookstore out of Nashville, Tennessee, came, and and they had stores all over the nation and were growing, and they wanted to offer this service in each of their stores. Oh, wow. And so we kind of struck up a deal with them, and so they started taking in uh, their customers' Bibles, and they would send them to us, and we discounted them to them from what we would normally charge. And um, so they kind of made a little bit, but they – their main thing was being able to offer this service, uh, and then we had uh, publishers, Tyndall House, and all the different publishers. They would request literature for them to mail to their uh, people that had bought their Bibles that they published for repair, and so that kind of really got us nationwide uh, without us having to venture into a nationwide expense of uh, campaign of advertising and that type thing. Of course, now uh, Lifeway has closed all their uh, bookstores. Yeah. And fam- family Christian stores did pretty much the same thing later in on after Baptist did. Um, but, you know, with Lifeway closing and family both closing, it's affected us tremendously. So we're in the process of now of using social media and as a as a guide and and uh, Google to get our name out there and put us in a place where individuals searching the internet can find us most easily and send their Bible directly to us. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, I think you just touched on something really important. I mean, I'm I'm from the newspaper business, so I mean, I understand how rapid things have changed with technology and everything else. And it sounds like that 
you know, here you've got a company that's over 70 years old now, but that you're really almost, it's like you're changing every other day trying to figure out what you need to be doing next. That's true. The Since these two major bookstores closed, they had, between the two of them, they had over 500 uh, locations that would take books in and Bibles and send them to us. Yeah. And, you know, of course, losing that was a tremendous blow. And uh, we've had to had to tighten our belts pretty good and, and really, you know, figure out where we were going to land after that happened. And, and uh, but we have, we're managing and, and uh, we're, we're back at a point where we are growing a little bit. From That's great. We're right after that. Um, a small business like this, we can't afford to, to advertise nationally. You know how expensive that would be. Oh, no kidding. And, and the return just wouldn't, wouldn't be feasible, but we're uh, reaching people uh, in our, just like this week, our analytic report, we had 947 views on our website just this past week. Um, and to me, that's... That's a good thing. So are you, so um, I about to say, you're doing the whole social media deal, you're being able to do that. Um, so you feel like you're getting some success from it. Oh, I think he may have dropped off. Yeah, I think he may have dropped off. Yeah, I tell you, uh, I appreciate, you know, what a great story. And I think probably Marilyn can touch on a little bit, too, that the technology and business has changed so rapidly in the last five to ten years that a small business like what they're doing, they're really having to come up and say, okay, we're going to have to try new and innovative things. And I tell you what, it sounds like that they have are figuring out ways to do it. I was glad to, one little piece that he said there that I was really glad to hear is that his sales now are starting to be on the up and up after losing, because that's a huge shock when you lose that many source customers, 500-something stores that have disappeared and just evaporated. But, you know, a lot of people are very, families, Bibles are a very precious part of who they are and of their family. And so for what they're doing, they're very valuable service. So anyway, I appreciate him being able to, to call in and talk to us a little bit. Like I said, that's up in, up in the Delta. It's Norris Bookbinding Company as well. We're Mississippi made. Exactly. That's so cool. That's here in the Delta. I didn't know that. I've lived here 23 years. I've been in the Delta all that time. I didn't know they were there. So appreciate him taking the time to talk to us. Well, I tell you what, it's time for our first break. But if you'd like to be featured on our Mississippi made segment or know a company that should, email us at marshall at mpbonline.org. We'd love to tell your story. When we return, we're going to also tell another great story. We're going to welcome our guest, the beautiful and talented. I'm just saying that. Well, because she's beautiful and talented and she's in the room. Marilyn Tin is here. And to tell a little bit about her story. Stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I am the editor-at-large at Mississippi Today, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. 
Our guest today is, well, she's a mom, she's a businesswoman, she's an author and a survivor, and she's here with us today to share her story. Let's welcome to the show the founder of Mississippi Christian Living Magazine, longtime publisher, editor, and author, and she's a great storyteller, too. Look forward to talking to her. The new book is Maybe's Grandmother Book, Life Lessons of Our Grandchildren. For our grandchildren, I can read, I promise. I need to read the book, too. Big people, too. Marilyn, welcome to the show. It's good Thank to you. see you. Um, you know, you and I were just talking a little bit off the air that you need to get up and go visit our friends up in the Delta to get your Bible recorded. Oh, it doesn't take much to get me to the Delta because that's my stomping that's, ground. That's your hometown. But I want to make a weekend trip out of it. I don't want to just run by the store. So it takes a little more planning. But I do have a Bible to take to them, and I have heard of them for years. Yeah, so I... And you, you, you said why it's so important because, you know, gosh, you think about it. Books are so cheap now. Everything's so disposable. You can do things electronically. But it's not the Bible per se. It's what's written in it. And I don't mean right. just the written word, obviously. Written words, dates, uh, things like that that, you know, are it's very a family record. It's, it's a record. Yeah, exactly. So, you don't obviously, if it's starting to come into tatters, you'd like to have it put back right. together. So that's why I think that Norse bookbinding company probably will be around for a while. I but think so. they just got to get the word out. And you know this just from being a business person and from when you had the magazine. The world's changed in the publishing business. It's changed so rapidly. I think, I'm sure everybody gets to be my age and looks back and says, oh, remember the days, the good old days, whatever. But I don't think things have changed as rapidly in my parents' lifetime as as they've changed in my lifetime. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I'm sitting here saying that right now, just... When I first went to the Clarion Ledger, it was totally different than what, you know, we do today at Mississippi Today. It's just the whole technology business. Somebody was getting on to me because I did a cartoon about Kobe, and they said I was trying to get attention or whatever. It's like, no, I just did the cartoon, and I can now publish it within five seconds mm-hmm. after I draw it. It used to be I would draw a cartoon, and it would sit for 24 hours right. before anybody could see it. So it's just the world has just gotten to be instantaneous now. It goes. Too, I think it goes too fast. But to say that's good and it's bad because I don't think we're actually reflecting on the world. I think that's true. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's just go ahead and start from the beginning. You mentioned you're a Delta girl. I am. So you're born and raised there. In Indianola. Indian. Oh man, Indianola is such a great town. It is a great town. I saw to the chamber a couple times up there and love that town. Oh, the people are just incredible. Yeah, I, I spoke of right before the the BB King Museum was built. Oh yes. And everybody was so excited about that. And then I spoke last year up there. And everybody's still excited about it. It's yes. just incredible, the energy. There's a great community spirit there. People yeah. love each other and work together. Wow, what a unique concept. Mm-hmm. We don't do that much anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. No, we need to work on that, definitely. But we're going to work together and get a good interview today, right? Okay. Okay, right. we're good. Uh, you, of course, attended the University of Mississippi. You received a bachelor's and master's degree in piano performance. Yes. From Mississippi College, so you can play piano. I would say I used to really be able to play the piano. <laughs> oh, no. You haven't gone totally. Well, the magazine for 17 years was kind of my baby and my life. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, you know, when we were doing that interview with, with the bookbinding folks, that app with Gib, that, I mean, that's a 24-7 job. Right. When you had the magazine, that was probably a 26-hour-a-day job. It was. Those deadlines just keep coming. I know it. And it's funny because if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, it's just big pieces of blank paper. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean, I, I believe in miracles. You you believe in miracles, but not in that. We'll talk a little bit about your mom and how she influenced you. 
Well, my mother was a string reporter. For people who don't know what that is, this was before the days of fax machines and emails and so forth. So she would ha- she had a geographic area in the Delta, and she covered all the news. And her forte was really the human interest story. This yeah. was when the second section of the newspaper was usually human interest stories, stories just about regular people. So she went all over the flatlands, and I usually sitting on the front seat, no seat belt right beside her, (laughs) interviewing people and just being quiet and noticing what she did. I always tell people that everything I know about journalism I learned in kindergarten, which is really not a stretch. Uh, Because I'd watched her, I saw that she loved what she did, but then we would come home late in the afternoon, she'd get on her old Smith Corona typewriter and start writing, typing furiously and um we didn't have a dinner hour we usually had cereal because my daddy could locate that (laughs) and that was our that was kind of our life but i saw how frantic it was the the mail truck left indianola at 7 30 every night so we had to get her story to the post office by 7 30 and many a time we would call the post office and tell the postmaster to please hold the truck because we were on our way and at the end of that time when We'd hand the envelope to the truck driver, we could finally kind of exhale. And that made me really nervous as a child, which was really the main reason I didn't major in journalism when I went off to school, because I loved to write. But I knew I didn't, I couldn't live that way with that much pressure all the time. And so naturally, you ended up right back in the middle of it. I did. So what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I just wanted to be a wife and mother. <laughs> really? Well, it worked out. <laughs> and it worked It worked out. Yeah. Uh, I was always, a, a, I played for churches and uh, taught piano lessons for years. Yeah. You've done um, lots of freelance writing. Tell us a little bit about some of the different people you have written for. Oh, well, um, most of my freelance writing was for my magazine for myself. Yes. But the, the stories are, were just so interesting because I met people that I would never have just run across in regular life. I and mean, people from the people that own the, uh, the produce stand on Old Canton Road and are um, an amazing family to when people would come to town like I remember when Mike Huckabee came to speak with the Salvation Army a few years ago. People like that would land in my lap, too. And it was everybody has a story. Everybody's story is interesting. And I loved seeing how people met adversity. Yes. And what made somebody resilient when somebody else might just want to quit. Let's talk about that right now, because I 2020, it seems like it's really started off in a harsh way. Right. Uh, you've got the fires in Australia. You've got now the coronavirus going on in China, which is scary. You know, I mean, obviously, anybody that's ever dealt with flu or so forth, you know, that's scary. Uh, we had Kobe's just horrible crash yesterday with yes. his daughter, which, you know, I, I was telling you a little bit before we got on the air that, okay, yes, we lost an NBA legend. But, you know, he, what I could relate to is he was taking his daughter to a basketball game. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's what we all do. I mean, that's, Carl, being a parent. Life can turn on a dime. Yeah. And you don't ever know what's around the corner, which I think is merciful in one way, because we would be paralyzed with fear waiting for that thing to happen. But that makes it more important to live in the moment and have some resources beneath the surface that keep us stable because we don't know where our culture's going, what's going to happen next, and the culture is going to change. I mean, it's always ch- right. changes the one thing you can really count on. But as we were talking a few minutes ago, 
the only thing we can control is what's in our heart and what's between our ears. Right. And that's one reason I wanted to write this book, because I desperately want my grandchildren and the next generation to understand that. I know it was I was thinking about that. My dad passed away. And, you know, as my sisters were surrounding him, I'm thinking we're all about two generations from nobody knowing who we were. Exactly. And so for you to be able to write this book and be able to have it, and we're going to really deep dive into the book here in a minute. But to be able to have that written word to pass along, not only to general public, but to your family members, to to the people that come along behind you so that they can get a feeling and know a little bit of your wisdom. Well, you know, if you if you pass down the things that really matter to your generation and they pass it down to their generation, four generations from now, nobody's going to know who May May was. Right. But hopefully the things that I think are important will still be a part of my family. We did a deal at. Uh, for TEDx this year, it was Jackson in 200 years, you know, how we were going to change Jackson in 200 years. I don't know about you. I can't change Jackson in 200 years. The only thing I can do is maybe change my children's destin- destiny, and then they can change their children's destinies. And that's what this book does. Well, and with the social media and the everybody's into their devices, we aren't communicating these things that really matter. That I'm sorry. I was things- just texting something. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> but, you, but you're so right. Mm-hmm. You're so right. We're not talking to each other anymore because that used to be our superpower in the South. We'd sit on the front porch and and not gossip, but we'd tell stories. Oh, I remember that as a child going to visit my grandmother and late in the afternoon, the grownups would all sit on the porch while the children played red light or whatever those games were. And they never ran out of things to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Uh, One thing I was looking at kind of your bio and all the things you've done. Of course, you worked... 24 7 on the magazine and oh yeah you you know you have a family and oh yeah you were there but you also gave back to the community a lot you were in the junior league i mean you, you're a sustaining member yes. now um you served on the advisory board of saint dominic's hospital gateway rescue mission you've been in goodwill industries and in mission mississippi so obviously giving is a big part of how you see the world i think so i don't i don't think you consciously say, oh, I'm going to be a giver. I think that's something you kind of hopefully absorb because you saw your parents do it. Right. And that's just in your DNA because that's what you do. But it's also, it's a very healing thing, too. It is. Yeah. I think the people who are the biggest givers are usually the ones who've been through the most junk. Yeah. I think there's it, a lot of truth to that. It helps you get out of yourself when you start giving back to other people. Boy, I tell you what, getting caught up in yourself, that can be a real mess. Right. That can be a real mess. Well, we got a lot more great stuff to talk about. We're going to take a quick break real quick. And when we get back, we'll continue speaking with our guest, author, Marilyn Tennant. But you can give us a call. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Carrie Horn, closed captioner here at MPB, and I'd just like to wish MPB a very happy 50th anniversary. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. 
Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. If you're just joining the program today, we've been talking with Marilyn Tennant, founder of the Mississippi Christian Living Magazine, longtime publisher, editor, and now author of the brand new book. And I'm holding it in my hands. Nice book. Nice picture, too, by the way, of you on the cover. May May's grandmother's book, Life Lessons of For Our Grandchildren and Big People, Too. We were talking a little bit about giving back to the community. I noticed on the cover of the book that the Ford is by our mutual friend, Robert St. John, a friend of the show, all of a friend of Mississippi. He's just a great guy. And one thing I love about Robert, now he's very funny, but Robert gives back, too. Oh, such a giver. He's such a giver. And, I, you know, I've watched him as both a friend and as somebody who likes to eat at his restaurants in Hattiesburg. But Robert's success really took off when he started Extra Table. That's interesting. Yeah. But that's true. Yeah. I think there's something to be said there a little bit. Back to you here real quick. You, in 2006, you were selected by the Mississippi Business Journal as one of Mississippi's leading businesswomen. That would be flattering. That was very flattering, especially when you consider how little I knew about business. <laughs> well, okay. Let's, let's just go ahead and deep dive into that. So, number one, why did you decide to start the magazine? And why did you decide to go for a Christian-themed magazine? And, I mean, you were just busy one day thinking, you know, I need to add something to my plate that will totally consume my life. I think I'll start a magazine. Is that how it started? Well, no. My youngest child went off to college, and I had no idea of how lost I was going to be. Yeah. And I was about 50 years old, and so that's not the end of your life. There are a lot of good years left. Oh, But I had never thought about what those years were going to look like. I don't play tennis. I wish I did, but I didn't I didn't belong to anything at that time that I could say I was going to be doing every day or enjoying it. And I wanted to do something meaningful. I think that came from my upbringing yeah. and the way my mother and daddy were both like that. So, I loved but I at that point I looked at what I really liked to do, which was I really liked to write. And I went to a writer's conference in Birmingham because I could drive and it was very cheap to go and ran across a magazine there that was a Christian magazine. Okay. And I thought there's nothing like this in Jackson and I believe it would really go and I think I could do this. But I've always kind of been that way. That was kind of impulsive. I had no idea what was involved in a business, in doing a magazine, the the, the layout, the graphic design, all those other things that are really important to the success of a publication. But I was just impulsive enough to think, I can do this. And somehow... But I think there's somebody that says um, God takes care of drunks and fools. And I know which one I was. So uh, it, it was just the right thing at the right time. So I'm just trying to do the math here. What year did you start that? My first uh, magazine appeared in July of 2002. 2002. That's right. Because I, I remember when it started. I just couldn't remember the date. 
So at this point, like you said, you had no experience with uh, graphic design, no, didn't know anything about ad sales, didn't know anything about, so you had to do the legal, you had to do all that other. I take it you probably leaned on help from, from I did. some friends. I, I don't mind asking for help. And the, the funny thing uh, about the reason that I... I I couldn't even sell Girl Scout cookies. Selling scared me to death. I do not have that gift. I have a daughter who could sell They sell, sell themselves ice. now. You yes. know that. Girl Scout cookies. Girl Scout do, cookies. They sell do, themselves. Right. Online, even. Yes. But uh, I was terrified of selling Girl Scout cookies. My daddy bought every box I ever had to sell. <laughs> but when it came to doing this, to selling the advertising, yeah. because I so believed in the magazine yeah. and the message that it had, that Selling was really not hard. And in the interim years, in between, oh, probably 1997 to 2001 or so, I did have uh, several really random jobs that uh, I met people. That was the thing. I met people who bought the advertising, not because they thought I could do a magazine, but because we had a relationship. Exactly. And they wanted to support me. Boy, that's, you know, that's so true in this world, but it's really true here in Mississippi, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, because you start making people mad, which I do regularly, by the way. <laughs> I'm quite good at that. Um, you hear about it. It's like, you made fun of my uncle. You know, I get a lot of that. <laughs> but I, I tell you, like I said, it's been, it was a great run, a great success story. You told so many stories that needed to be told. Like you said, from one minute you were doing Mike Huckabee, next minute you were doing somebody at, at a fruit stand mm-hmm. that had an incredible story, too. And I love that, too. That's what I love to try to do with the, the radio show and the TV show. But one day you woke up and said, it's time to sell. That had to be a really weird decision. It was really weird because for years I would tell everybody, well, they're going to take me out feet first. Right. I'm just going to do this until I don't do it anymore. And then, as we were talking about a while ago, how times have changed. Retail has changed. Social media has changed the face of everything. Yes. And it's almost like my children and grandchildren came with the chip in their brain that I don't have about the social media and all these things that are easy for them. It is not easy for me. It's not easy for somebody my age. So I kept reading about Prince dead, Prince dead. Well, I don't think Prince dead, but I know that it was, it was different. And I have to say, I really know that God orchestrated the sale of my uh, magazine because there are not a million people clamoring to buy a Christian magazine or a magazine at all, anything in print. And a friend uh, called me one day and said, I don't know if you're really thinking about selling, but I'm in this writing group. And last night, Katie Eubanks, you know Katie Eubanks? She was talking about wanting to own a Christian magazine. And I just called her up and asked her if she wanted to have lunch. You could have gotten a clear message if a burning bush had popped you're up in front so of you. so right. And and. I had kind of known Katie around the edges, but we just clicked. And I felt like I was giving my baby to somebody I could really just, I I walked away and left it in good hands. And that was that. I had the pleasure of working with Katie for many years. And I think you nailed it when you said she's an old soul. Mm Because, you know, she'd be like 25 going on 55, exactly. 65. She, she's very, very wise. But I, when she told me she was going to buy it, I was just like, I cannot think of a better place for you. And she's done a great job she with has. it. So it's and for you, it's kind of nice because you were able to raise it and send it on its way. Mm-hmm. And now you don't have to stay up at night worrying about it. You're right. And I do have these grandchildren that I absolutely adore. And it doesn't take anything for my daughter to call me up and say, oh, could you come do such and such? Well, I, I, I'm I, freer to do those things now. Tell me, how many grandchildren do you have? Now? Well, 
technically, I have six, Mm -hmm. but together, my husband and I have 13. 13. From age three to age 15. Which, by the way, he's sitting in the the studio very quietly with a big smile on his face. So very good. So y'all are pretty busy. Do they live here close by? We don't have any in town. Oh, no. We have three in Denver, three in Birmingham, two in Vicksburg, three in Hernando, and three in Memphis. So you're on the road a bit. We go to a lot of things. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. My wife swears we have three boys that we are going to to live one-third of the year wherever they live in each town. So she's already got it planned. So. Well, wait till you have grandchildren, and then she'll really hold your feet to the oh, fire no, to no, no. I think she's, <laughs> she's going to buy a mobile home probably and we'll go live in their driveway. So she's got it planned on that a little bit. So that was kind of how the book came about, was mm-hmm. that you're thinking, okay, we've got these 13 grandkids from both sides that really need my advice. Tell a little bit. Okay, so you sell the magazine. You suddenly have all this time on your hand, which you, you had to be going stir-crazy. Having that time. It takes a while. You know, I came to the conclusion that life is a series of adjustments. You yes. never get out, you never get it so adjusted that you're so well adjusted that there are no more adjustments. But retirement was, it did take me a little while to find my equilibrium. Yeah. I, create I, my own structure. I, I can believe that. I, I know when I switched jobs, literally for the first month after that, I just kind of sat there going, I kind of felt in a funk. I was like, right. what do I do? What do I do? And now, now everything's great. So, but... In that time, you were making that adjustment. Did you say, okay, now it's time to crank out a book? Yes, and I thought about it for years, and I always said, oh, that's the first thing on my bucket list. But when it comes to writing a book, and you know this, yes, you have to sit yourself down in the chair and do it. Yes. They, <laughs> and that is hard. That is the hard part. Yeah, I was writing about that this morning, talking about writer's block and creativity and all that. Literally 99% of it is just literally sitting down mm-hmm. and doing it. And so you did it. Did you have an outline? You said, okay, I want to write on these different topics, or did it just I did. flow? I had done some public speaking over the years with the magazine, and uh, I had this one little talk called Backdoor Lessons that were the important things I felt like, the most important lessons that I had learned in life that were not the things I learned from a book or that I set out set out to learn. Mm-hmm. But when I look back at the guiding principles of my life and the things that, I, that really form my basis of how I make decisions and so forth, there were these six things that I considered really important. Well, I don't want to give want you to give away the whole book, but I would you like I'd like you to share some of those six things with us. Well one of the things the I think the first one is that you pay attention. Do you remember there was uh, a book one time about not sweating the small stuff. That's right. Um that said, it's all small stuff. Well, that's not completely true. But to say, uh, if you if you get a cancer diagnosis, right. that's not small stuff. That's not small stuff. But there is nothing really that's random. I don't believe. Right. And that if you really pay attention, those things like cancer can turn out to be incredible blessings. Maybe not that you would ever have gone looking for, but there were rich things that came out of that that you probably wouldn't have learned any other way. So I think paying attention to being in the moment, paying attention to those interruptions of life, learn from them and, and, and make them into something that is not devastating. Have you had a challenge in your life where you've had to, to do that? Well, I had breast cancer in 2006, and then I had a brain aneurysm in 2010. I'd say those both qualify. Both of Definitely. those. And, 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 wow. and been through divorce. Yes. And that's not anything anybody ever gets married thinking, well, if this doesn't work, I'm going to get a divorce. I mean, it's a much bigger thing Very than that. Yes. But all those painful things, I feel like God has redeemed them in my life. Mm-hmm. That they, 
I make this the statement in the book that you know failure, and I I view divorce as kind of a failure in a, a in a way, in a big way, but uh, failures don't have to define you unless right. you refuse to get up, and it is what it is, and then you move forward. Well, it sounds like you've really developed the gift of being able to reframe these moments and being able to turn them I, into. I hope so, and I, that's what I wanted to do for my grandchildren because I know. As young as they are, they haven't faced anything so devastating yet that they think, I I won't get past this. And there are lots of times in life where you think, I won't get past this. But but you can, and I hope that I can encourage them to see. Some days you go through, just put one foot in front of the other and keep moving in the right direction. Isn't that the hard part, though, is being a parent and a a grandparent is is watching your kids and grandchildren when they start going through some tough things? Because you just want to swoop in and help them. Yes. And especially if those hard things are consequences of maybe some of their poor choices. Yeah. But but we can love them. We can love them through them, but we can't go through it for them. You can't go through it for them, but if there's a way for you to be able to give them the wisdom on the sly. <laughs> or here, read this book right there. Just put it right under their pillow. Well, you know, hopefully when they get a little older... No yeah. matter where I'll be in life or if I'll still be here. But if they know I dedicate that book to them, maybe they'll look at it. But one thing I do like about the book, and you, you cover all these topics, and there's some, some pretty serious topics, but you do it with, with grace and humor. That really helps, doesn't it? Humor is just right up there. In the, I, I would say the top three things you got to have to get through life. Right. Yeah, if you, can, if you can learn to laugh at the things that drive you crazy, you'll be a lot mm-hmm. better off, right? Right. I'd say so. Um, we got a little time here for maybe throw another maybe one of the six out okay uh get a dog yeah okay we can talk all day about dogs now because that's easy and i and i you have a very good point i'm gonna steal this from you here you were saying that the good thing about a dog is you know you have a puppy and then you get to see them grow up and then you realize when they get frail and have arthritis and everything else it kind of gives you a good idea of what your life is going to end up like being Yes. But dogs don't live long enough. That's the only problem That's with them. That, that you're so right. I, we we had three, and we have none right now. And Charles would get one. He's smiling over he there. He would get one on the way home today yeah. if, if if I would say we could. But I grieved so much over that last one. I'm just not done. It Grieving. hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. I love that dog so. You know, when Banjo died, our dog, um, for seven weeks, Pip, our new one, was born at the same moment he died. So we had seven weeks without a dog. First time in our whole marriage we had mm-hmm. not had one. I mean, I had to pick up food off the floor. Mm-hmm. I dropped food on the exactly. floor. Exactly. Like, you have a dog, you don't have to sweep the right. kitchen. I didn't have to get up in the middle of the night to let anybody out. You know, it's like, I guess my wife technically can go to the bathroom on her own. I don't have to let, you know. <laughs> so it was it was so eerie not to have one. So, so I think that doggy dependence there, but their love is so unconditional. Right. And and they, they take a lot of time. But what in life that's... Important doesn't it. yeah right they well, they're so worth it they greet you when you come home like you just liberated Paris mm-hmm. which is awesome so um, so you'd say get a dog I think you learn a lot from those four legged friends definitely so can that stretch into cats we've had some cats <laughs> <laughs> no 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 cats had you <laughs> that's, that's true it's generally about the cat we, we yeah I understand how the cats feel a little bit what do you want your readers to come away with just in general from the book. To live in the moment, to control the things they can control, and to love God and love other people. Yeah. So basically, it sounds like take care of business and then remember there's something bigger in yourself out there. Right. Definitely. So that's that's 
It's in the book, Mamie's grandmother book, Life Lessons for Our Grandchildren, Big People Too. You've been on the book tour um, all about yes. traveling. Still working on it. That's fun. Where, where are you going to next? Well, I have been to, I've got two things in Jackson in the next few weeks, and then I'm going to Birmingham for two things. My daughter lives in Birmingham, okay. and she's got me two great gigs over there. Nice. There you so, go. Does she get 10%? No. <laughs> Maybe some babysitting services. Hey, that's actually a pretty good deal. So I, I would do that in a heartbeat. You enjoy the, the book signings, though, don't you? I do. I just enjoy getting to be with people. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm enjoying being with you, but we're going to take a quick break. This is now we're going to take a final break. When we return, we'll wrap up our conversation with one of Mississippi's living legacies. I, I think that's a nice way of putting it. Marilyn Tennant. Phone lines are still open. If you want to give her a call at 877-MPB-RING, that's 877-672-7464. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Claudia Singletary, the executive assistant here at MPB. And here's wishing MPB a happy 50th anniversary. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. All right, welcome back. This is Now You're Talking. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm editor-at-large at Mississippi Today. You can check out my cartoons there. Hey, today we've had a pleasure of sitting down. I really, really have enjoyed this conversation. Marilyn Tenn is in, the founder of Mississippi Christian Living Magazine. She's a longtime publisher and editor, uh, business person, speaker, just all-around good writer. She's a great storyteller. And she tells some really great stories in her new book, Maymay's grandmother book. It's life lessons for our grandchildren and big people too. Marilyn, of course, you got Robert St. John doing the Ford. That's kind of cool. We love Robert. Where did the stories come from that are in there? I mean, because obviously this is a lot of your life in between the the front cover and the back cover. I think I just pay attention to stories. Yeah, I, there were a few stories in there that I actually heard uh, through some sermons at my church. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yes, and then. Um, Listening to Charles talk about the looking for real things from yeah. when he first started in the rug business, and he had to be able to tell the difference between a fine rug and a not so fine, and it took really studying the fine one to understand the difference between the fine one and the fake one. So, you know, just stories from people that I know, people that I've been around. So, does his advice on rugs translate to people? He is a very wise person. I was about to say he could probably stumble across a few fine people and a few fake ones too. He, he, he is very he is very good. He's a very good um, and perceptive, and he pays attention very well. 
Well, it sounds like um, then he's turned out to be a really bless- a big blessing in your life. He's been a huge blessing in my life. He's my cellmate. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Let's, let's go back to a very tough and painful moment of your life. Um, you get the phone call about the breast cancer. Yes. It's you, you just never think that's going to happen to you. It's one of those things that you think happens to other people. Right. But when somebody looks at you and uses that C word, it is devastating in the moment. It's almost like an out-of-body experience that you're watching somebody deliver the news to somebody, but it's not just anybody. It's you they're talking about. And I was single at the time, and I had just kind of, well, I had changed the magazine at that point from Mississippi, uh, no, from Jackson Christian Family to Metro Christian Living. I was really on my own. I had kind of taken a gamble, and then this kind of came out of the blue. Yeah, and your your schedule was busy enough. You were just probably thinking, I don't have any time for this. Right. I really, that's exactly what I thought. And I remember my dear, dear Dr. Lay telling me that this is, prepare for this to mess up a year of your life. Dr. Lay is, uh, I've always said if my cancer comes back, that I would go see him. He's hes solid. He is solid, and he's, his bedside manner is wonderful. Yeah, he's a pretty funny guy. He really is. So at this point, you had the surgery and the treatment and everything else. Did it mess up a year of your life? Yes, because it takes so long to get over a surgery like that. Yeah. Um it hurts. It, it really does. Yes. It's like, oh, that, that, that was sensitive. That really hurt. <laughs> you know, I mean, t- talk a little bit about it. I mean, what did you get from it? Because, I, I mean, I could tell you probably for five hours about all that I learned yes. from mine. But what? how did it change you? It changed me so much in realizing how much I needed other people. Yeah. I had some of the most wonderful friends. You think when you, you think you don't know what to say when somebody's going through something that devastating, and it, you don't really have to quote scripture. You don't have to even pray out loud. You just have to be there. That's where the community aspect yes. of it works out. And there are so many things. Just I, I mentioned in there, I had a friend that went with me to my doctor's appointments to have another set of ears. That was wonderful. That's huge too. And who wants to sit around in a doctor's office for yourself, but certainly not for somebody when you don't have to be there. But I tell people that's like one of the most important things when you are a patient to bring somebody that's mm-hmm. not as invested in it, because this is what you hear when you are a cancer patient. Want, want, want right. cancer. Want, want, want. Because it's like Charlie Brown's parents talking. Exactly. Because you're so hyper because you're like, am I going to live? Um, yes, that's that's the first thing. I, I, I hate to say my two questions were, uh, and I don't, I can't tell you which order they were in. Will I lose my hair? And and uh, will I die? Well, you didn't die. I didn't die. But did you lose your hair? I did not lose my hair, what? which was another story wow. in itself. Uh, when I would sit around in the waiting room in between the time when I was supposed to start, between my surgery and the time I was supposed to start treatment, I sat there and would watch people come in who were a little farther down the road than I was. Yeah. And, and I, I, I had been to the hairdresser, and I knew I could get a really good-looking wig, and that would be okay. And then I was sitting there one day when a girl came in, and I realized she has no eyebrows. I never realized how important <laughs> eyebrows are. I don't think you can get fake eyebrows. So I was really in a panic about that. Well, Dr. Lay uh, 
sent my tissue to a lab in California for genomic testing, mm-hmm. which was one of they weren't that is now routine. They weren't doing it in 2006. Yeah. The lab in California sent it back with my likelihood of how much chemotherapy was going to help me. And it, the the amount of help it would be was so limited and so minute that my oncologist said I wouldn't even give my wife chemo. The, the, the chance and the risk of the chemo is greater than the risk of, of not having it. So I took a pill for five years, which did kind of mess up my brain a little bit, but I had my hair intact. I've heard, heard that drug makes you tired. Makes you tired and it makes yeah. your brain foggy. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, my, my, my mother-in-law is on that pill right now, so she was telling me a little bit about that. You've lived an incredible life. Um, you know, obviously cancer was a huge impact on you. The divorce was an impact on you. Being in the business for 17 years was a huge impact. Are there any other moments that you feel like shaped who you are now as a person? Oh, from the time I was a little girl, being with my mother, yeah, that said, was that was huge. And... Um, what do, you know, I do believe that the things you go through, if you really sit and reflect on them, they're all valuable. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you wouldn't be who you are today. Right. Definitely like that. Your mom did sound like a pretty incredible person. You didn't have a chance. <laughs> you really didn't. I still, the technology, you know, she's got to run to the post office and send you that. You just cannot imagine how wild that was. I mean, now you can send something to China just with the press of a button. And the newspaper, I mean, we could hear the thud of the newspaper when it hit the front walk the next morning. Yeah. She would have, if she was going to have a story in it, she would have my daddy up because he went to get the newspaper uh, before way before daylight. As soon as that paper hit, he was up and out the front door to get the newspaper. You probably feel the same way, I, and I do too. There's still nothing better than seeing something of yours in print. That's so, so true. It's a great thing. All right, book, you're still out there pushing it. It's May May's grandmother book. I'm pushing it. You're out. On the book tour. On the book tour. You're not pushing it. It sounds like you're selling drugs. <laughs> you're selling wisdom. That's a big difference. Life lessons for our grandchildren, big people, too. Uh, where can folks get it? They can get it at Lemuria. Yes. They can get it at Persnickety in mm-hmm. Madison. Mm-hmm. They can get it in Amazon. Um, most, most anywhere in the state that is um, a bookstore at yes. the moment. Isn't that great, though? I love the independent bookstores in, in Mississippi. I do, too. Because, number one, the people that own them are so fascinating and interesting. The people at Lemuria are wonderful. They have been so supportive. Oh, John is John Evans is fantastic. He is. Definitely on that. All right. Anything else you'd like to leave us with today? Because, I mean, like I said, we're in tough times we're right t- now. What, what bit of advice can you leave people to get them through 2020? To realize that the culture is changing. The culture is going to, to always be changing, but there are some things underneath that are resilient, that are built into the human spirit, that can can rise above the challenges. Right. So basically, even though the culture is changing, you can you have enough control to change your own culture. You're exactly right. Yeah. And I didn't mention that it's at Square Books too. Oh, we don't want to leave them out. Don't leave that. Good Rich, Richard also. is great. Richard's good people. Good people. All right. Do you have a website or anything good like I that? I do have a website and I have a Facebook page. Well, throw it out there. Okay. Marilyn Tennant Writes yes. is my Facebook page. And uh, com is my website. Excellent. Marilyn, I have totally enjoyed spending I've this enjoyed time it with too, you today. Marshall. Thank you so much. How oh, you're wonderful. The book is Maymay's Grandmother Book, Life Lessons for Our Grandchildren and Big People Too by, of course, Marilyn Tennant. And I want to thank her for 
being in today because it was a great show. And also, too, if you'd like to hear the show again or listen to past episodes, you can download our MPB public media app and listen to our podcast. Uh, Now You're Talking is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. It's produced by Michelle McAdoo. Hey, stay tuned. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell is coming up next. Join us every Monday right at 10. For Now You're Talking, only on MPB Think Radio. Y'all have a great week.